Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. Episode 195. Pretty exciting oh. stuff. With Mike Collins, or you go by Michael. Mike's fine, yeah. Mike's fine. Mike is from the sugaraddiction.com. That's his website. And I want to hear about your story, Mike, that brought you to the realization that sugar maybe was the first and the foremost. Because when before we were recording, he talked about how it started in the womb. So tell us, what was it like? What happened? And what is it like today? <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> well, I grew up a small child. Now, look, I, I, you know... My mom was the biggest sugar junkie on the planet. A lovely, lovely woman, but she just couldn't put down the sugar. She, her mother died when she was eight years old. The deal that they made, you know, typical Irish Catholic, literally first generation Irish Catholic family. The deal they made was anytime she walked across the street to the country store, she could have anything for free and he'd put it on the father's tab because he was just so felt guilt struck. So that never changed her whole life. She was just equated emotions with sugar, uh, like sadness, the mom was gone, whatever it was, it was sugar. And this is a, a novel theme that we'll, we'll revisit as we talk. But so, you know, I, I grew up, she gained 60 pounds with my birth on a 105 pound frame. And talking later that basically all she ate was sugar products, right? And she had a sugar stash all over the house, and we knew where it was. And we had unfettered access to the sugar bowl. We could literally, if we didn't have a half an inch of sugar on the, in the milk on top of the, you know, when we got done with the Cheerios and the cornflakes, we didn't put enough sugar on it. We could make Kool-Aid with three times the, the recipe amount, anything we wanted with the, with the white sugar that was in the house. And you know, we couldn't really afford the snacky snacks, but... We could have that white sugar. There was always sugar there. And so there's a great YouTube video your folks would love. Eric Clapton, the famous guitar player, recovering famous guitar player in his $7 million Antigua Treatment Center, talking to Ed Bradley at 60 Minutes. And he says, Ed Bradley says, Eric, so this uh, addiction thing, it all started with heroin, right? And he says, no, Ed, it started with sugar. He says, I was five or six years old and I would eat bread and butter and sugar sandwiches to change my state, anything to change my state. Well, we used to eat bread and butter and sugar sandwiches, brown sugar as well, and then cinnamon ones as well, put it on the toast. And so an entire childhood of this, I mean, every candy, ice cream, cookie that you can think of, we had, and you know, we were doing cookie dough before it was cool and before it was sold in stores. We were eating it on Saturdays when we made oatmeal chocolate chip cookies, my mother's favorite. So, you know, fast forward to 14 years old, and I find run into beer, right? Now, during this time period, I didn't really know that I was changing my state. I just thought, like most people, both in recovery, out of recovery, in America, in, in the world, they don't kind of, sugar is a very mild um, mood elevator, right? So it doesn't really like, it's not like you're going to drink beer and you know, but I realized that I could talk to girls, like you know, my whole state changed. And so that party lasted. And I will answer any questions. I'm an open book, but until uh, I was 28 years old, right? And I got sober. And so then, you know, I, I literally went right back to the sugar. 
I mean, literally when I was drinking, I didn't really use that much. So I didn't, I didn't have much of a sweet tooth. I didn't, I didn't really need it to be honest with you. I mean, in hindsight, and I mean, I ate a little, but nothing, nothing out of the order. My girlfriend, old girlfriend used to say, every time we have spaghetti and meatballs and say, you want to go out for ice cream. So I, you know, the, the thing was there, the, 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 it was hiding underneath, right. When I wasn't drinking. And so, you know, I, I just started, like I gained 20 pounds just like that, just like everybody in recovery, the freshman 15 or the freshman 50, or they, you know, it just, we gained weight really fast in the first couple of years of recovery. And it's because we all substitute. It's even in the big book, you know, twice in the big book that, you know, sugar helps. And so, you know, recovery meetings are like a freaking sugar smorgasbord. And so, you know, I just started, I read a book at that time called Sugar Blues and Sugar, <laughs> sugar Blues is the story of this guy, he's at a party, right? And he's putting two lumps of sugar in his coffee and this voice from behind says, I wouldn't have that in my house, let alone my body. It, it, it turns out it's glorious, he knew the voice, it's Gloria Swanson, the famous movie star, right? Oh my. Yeah, yeah. And so they end up marrying her third husband and uh, they end up marrying and they promote this book, Sugar Blues, all over the world. And I read that book in the late, in the early 80s when I got sober. And it just kind of stuck. I don't know if God put it in my head or whatever. It's just like, I love the history lesson that, you know, England grew the largest empire in the world in the backs of sugar and slavery. They would go from England with empty boats, pick up slaves, go to the Caribbean and South America and stuff, get the sugar and the Roman molasses and come back. And literally grew the largest empire in the world, bigger than El Chapo or anybody, bigger than any, you know, drug cartel. And I just, I don't know why that tripped my trigger, but I just did. And so I ended up raising two kids sugar-free from the womb. I married a woman at the time in, in recovery, and she just bought into it all. So, I, we, so we, no sugar, no flour, no caffeine in the womb until they were six years old. And... And I just, that experiment worked, by the way, if you want to ask questions about that, I'm happy to answer it. But um, yeah, and then for the last 20 years, or 20 years after that, I, had, I just had a regular life. I, I went on, had business, I didn't drink, I didn't use drugs, and I didn't use sugar and flour and caffeine. And about 10 years ago, I said, you know, my kids always said, you should write a book about sugar, Dad. And I'm like, yeah, sure, sure. And so I bought sugaraddiction.com, uh, the, the URL, the domain name, and wrote a book. Uh, it's on Amazon about sugar addiction, sugar detox, and here we are. So that's the story. It usually brings up more questions than it answers, but there you go. Okay, I want to ask you this. So yeah. as you mentioned there briefly, you know, an AA meeting is a smorgasbord <laughs> of sugar yeah, products. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. I mean, you go there, like I know in California when it's somebody's anniversary, they have cakes, right? They have cakes there. When you go to meetings anywhere in the world, they have cookies, they have donuts, they have all mm -hmm. these different things. How did you say no? I don't, you know, it, it, I can tell you my clean day from alcohol and drugs, but I can't exactly tell you my clean day. I know it's over 30 years because over, my, my kids are older than 30 years. So I, I know when that one is, or I sort of know where it is. Um, but I just, it, I had some problems. Let me tell you, I used to go to, you talk about meetings. I used to go to these black belt AA meetings. They were men's meetings, right? And they'd say, sit down, shut up. And you don't have a right to talk to you get 90 days sober. And I'm like, uh, I kind of figured I needed that at that time. But I started talking after 90 days and they said, 
you know, I start talking about the sugar and stuff, and they'd say, Mike, are you sober today? I said, yes. Yeah. Don't worry about the damn sugar. You know? But I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, it was an on-again, off-again process for a couple, two, three years. Um, I was in recovery two or three or four, three years, maybe longer, um, uh, before I got off of sugar and flour. And it was, it would take me, like I'd go a month and you back and forth, back and forth. So I didn't have any compadres. I used to go to a couple of the food meetings, but I didn't relate to the folks too much. But I just, I just eventually stopped it all. And, and, you know, and I read, I started, I would read whatever was out, but between Sugar Blues and Dr. Lustig last five, five, seven years ago, there wasn't a lot, you know, the, the, the uh, big food manufacturers had done their job well, and there wasn't a lot of information about sugar being that bad for you. So I just, I kept up with some of it, but I just, I don't know. I just turned it, you know, I, I'm an abstinence-based guy, so when I do something, I guess I, I do it all the way. <laughs> but you're lucky because we, yeah. you know, I can just speak for myself. Like it's like you are. I already gave up booze. Like you want me to give up? You want me to give up sugar too? You want me to give up yeah, cigarettes yeah. too? Like enough? Like I need a caffeine. I mean, give right. me a break. That's like really hard. And the fact that you are saying to me, like you just did it, it's just amazing. Like, did you pray a lot? Like, what did you do? Well, here's the thing. I, I did audit, like I said, some 12-step meetings, and I call myself a 12-step anthropologist, uh, not, you know, like some of my mentors. But, you know, I, what I studied, I didn't really, I mean, I knew a lot about NA and A and all that kind of stuff, and I liked that history lesson and all that. But I really studied the food groups. And what happened in the food groups is an interesting story. Your, your uh, customers, your clients, your listeners might like is OA doesn't allow, doesn't, you can name your own abstinence. In other words, you can eat sugar on the weekends, you can do whatever, right? But I see people, I used to see people suffering so badly 20 years in, 15 years in, because, oh, I went out, I had sugar, and I didn't buy that, you know. But there was three offshoot groups, Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, Food Addicts uh, Anonymous, uh, and CEA Howe, and the Gray Sheeters, four of them offshoots of AA and they named your abstinence. They said, no sugar, no flour, uh, you know, and some of them weigh and measure food, right? But no sugar, no flour. And anecdotally and um, by accident, they discovered, I believe, the cure for this issue, right? And so I went to a couple of their conventions and I was interested in their, you know, their, their model, how they did it over the years. And I think that was the answer, really. I, I, I could see that 100% abstinence was the answer uh, to, because these are people who lost two and 300 pounds, and they had to go through the exact same recovery you and I did. I mean, emotional recovery, emotional healing, that kind of stuff. It wasn't just, you know, quit something. It was, there's other parts to it, and they went through exactly what we went through. So I was a student of it the whole time, and I think that kept me off of it. Because it's hard. I mean, I know for myself, I've tried to do it. I mean, with the Atkins diets, keto, I know that's something you talk about, <laughs> right. keto, and like, oh, I'm going to do keto. I mean, I mean, I'm somebody that's battled, you know, the whole weight thing the whole time. And right. I truly, you know, I, I get to that place where I'm like, oh my God, it's hard. I mean, so I commend you. That's amazing. Right. 
And I'm sure like your kids, like, I can't even imagine, like, how did you, were you like the person that went to school and made sure like when they were handing out the cupcakes, like no cupcakes for these or did they like, it, that's hard. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. We fought the Montessori school. We fought their own grandparents. We fought other kids' parents uh, because they thought we were, genuinely thought we were, and they had like a passion and argument that we were depriving them of some pleasure of childhood. But I just really believe that, you know, that first thousand days and these are, you know, I read, I was, I'm, a, I'm kind of a health guy anyway. So I, you know, I was reading about science and health and wellness and all that kind of stuff. And those first thousand days, your brain grows. I can't remember the numbers, but it's gigantic like percentage. It's so, it's still developing so much in those first thousand days. You know, my kids were reading books before they were three years old. This we're they are card carrying, you know, perfect scores on their college entrance exam, geniuses. And I just believe that their brain developed better. I'm not that smart. I mean, I'm, you know, all right, but I'm not that, I, I, you know, I was more clo a lot closer to average than I was to that shit. I mean, and, and their mother too, you know, so the experiment I think worked, you know, so it's like, and you know, they, I don't think they don't say that they were deprived to this day. And I just don't think that here's the thing. And we'll talk about it maybe a little bit later, but, Neural pathways are grooved in your brain at those ages, right? They're, they're, you know, you think about worry, you think about fear, you think about stress. You know, my, my mother had four kids uh, under eight at one time, you know, in her life, right? And so she would give you a cookie and point you to there's a TV, and she didn't have time to get down on the level, give you a hug, whatever. And a lot of parents find themselves that, you know, today busy. The bottom line is, is that now just those anecdotal four recovery groups I told you about discovered in church, dusty church basements, right? Well, Dr. Lustig and all the super researchers that we have on our sugar summits, Harvard, Cornell, everybody, now the science is telling us why this happens, right? Why you can't quit, why you can't stay stopped from sugar, right? And it's no different than alcohol, no different than uh, heroin, no different than any drug, cocaine. The same brain reward systems light up in your brain when you use sugar. And do it's dose dependent, right? So we do a little alcohol, we do a little uh, heroin, we do a little cocaine, but we are doing 17 to 20 teaspoons a day average that's average that's not somebody that's probably overweight and doing a lot more that's before you get the flour which turns to sugar in your stomach so we are grooving we're hitting dopamine dopamine serotonin norepinephrine in our brains over and over and over again and we we just we learn that when we are upset when we are feeling angst or whatever that unconsciously now because it's free and almost ubiquitous we can always reach for sugar somewhere in our home or you know for a bucket to 7-eleven and so we just this pattern developed developed and that's it man it's just simple patterning and you know until we figure out until we people you know you know Raji Dater <laughs> I, I get no respect right I get no respect it's like yeah, you see, you laugh. I didn't even tell the joke. All I had to say, I had to get no respect, right? It's like sugar gets no respect as, as a psychoactive drug until you talk to somebody who's lost 200 pounds. And then they say, I'm scared to death of sugar because I was 200 pounds. And when I quit it, I went to a right-sized body, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's a, 
we are in the beginnings of a tectonic shift, like drinking and driving, seatbelts in cars, and that kind of stuff. We, we're, we're smoking in public places. The science says this now, and the science is what I'm standing on, you know, the shoulders of giants, basically. So, Well, yeah. it's so fascinating because this is obviously not the first time I've heard this, right? So no. I, <laughs> I mean, and... But it is such, you know, it's, and I'm, and I'm going to use COVID because we are living in a pandemic. So yeah. people are at home and, you know, life is tough right now for a lot of people, right? It's tough. I mean, families are separating things or kids aren't going back to school. Life is pretty dramatic in our houses. And, th you know, it makes, sugar makes you feel good. You mentioned that. It makes you feel good, right? It makes. I you think feel it's the perfect good. drug, man. I really do. It's just it doesn't get you buzzy. It just makes no, you feel. No, it doesn't. It just it actually, I think when you think about when you actually kind of go through the recovery and then you slip, you do get this high, like you had two martinis, right? And right now, all we're doing is trying to get back to normal. Think about it. We're not trying to get that buzz anymore. We just don't want to feel bad. We just want to feel just about normal. You know, and that's what sugar does when you get to be our age, when you get to be an adult, it just, and this happens when people experience relapse with sugar, they're like, I was stoned, you know, I was high. And so, yeah, I think it is more powerful than people realize. It's just that when your dopamine stuff heals up a little bit, um, then all of a sudden you get this wicked blast of dopamine or serotonin or gobbler, you know, all, all of the brain reward chemicals are affected, you know, and we're not, that's what we're doing. We're doing drugs. We're not like, the cocaine doesn't get you high. The alcohol doesn't get you high. It's the blast of dopamine and serotonin that gets you the inebriation. You know, the How does one go out for dinner when you are, when, <laughs> let's, because that's the part, I mean, I know for me, I'm really social being, so I'm just going to use myself as your dummy. So yeah. um, I go to dinner at least, I want to, like right now my kitchen's torn apart. My life is totally upside down. So we are ordering takeout all the time. So what do you do when you have that lifestyle? And let's, we can't, I can't cook. It's too much. I had to start an Instagram account. It's just getting started. What does the sugar-free man eat? <laughs> because I get that question so much. What do you eat? Like, you know, what, what, what do you eat? You can't eat bread. You can't eat flour, pasta, rolls, none of that kind of stuff. Um, you well, know, that's usually, the easy stuff. But that's that, the easy stuff you're talking about, right? Like that okay. anybody that's walking down the street knows, okay, I can't have ice cream. I can't have bread. I can't right. go to, I can't go to Italian. I right. can't have pizza. Well, I mean, again, I mean, it's like this has this uh, pandemic. It's worse than the pandemic we're currently in has then gone from almost zero to 84% or 80 plus percent of the food products on the shelves contain sugar and they contain sugar because food scientists, the guys that write this book and want to pull it surprise, you know, there's food scientists on the other side that are trying to figure out the best way to keep you hooked to whatever you're eating, Doritos or, you know, mac and cheese, whatever it is, they're trying to get enough sugar in it that you come keep coming back. The answer to your question is it's, hard at the beginning, but you can do it. You know, there are things that you can say in the rest. And one of the things I always say is, and in 20 some odd year, 30, almost 30, over 30 years, I've never had anybody uh, complain. They actually come to my aid and two have actually said, do you have diabetes? I'll, I said, does this have sugar in it? I can't have sugar. That's all I got to say is I can't have sugar. And then it's like, 
they light up, they run back to the kitchen, they find out what's going on for you. You know, two of them said, I have diabetes too, or do you have diabetes? You know, I don't, but that's only happened a couple of times. So there's tricks and honest to goodness, what you just brought up is one of the core principles that we teach in coaching and in our support systems is that it's really about like um, meetings and stuff. It's about the social supports. It's, it's really important part of it because everyone is doing it or whatever you want to put it. It's like the entire society is coated in sugar in the food industry. The, the history is very interesting. If you read a little bit about, you talked about keto, if you read those folks, this all started in the, 50, in the 40s when they needed to make K rations for the troops. And so they came back and those guys had cranked up these giant machines to give food to the guys, right? Well, now we're in the 50s and, you know, women are getting back to getting into the workplace more. And they started to grow a processed food industry, right? And so they didn't really start putting sugar heavily into it until the 70s and 80s and then high fructose corn syrup. But like I said, I really like the history stuff. And, it, you know, I always like to see how do we get in this mess? So how can we get out, right? And so you can see the evolution, how, how it happened kind of innocently really these guys had a you know shareholder value to maximize people liked it they bought it it was okay and the science wasn't there so now with presented with the science we've got to realize that what's that like zen kind of saying that the guru guys like it's not okay to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society right it's like the science you know i don't know about you but when i was young Drinking and driving was not, you were not the pariah, you know, you were, right. it was just don't get caught, right? right? They'd pat you on the head and say, drive slow, don't get caught. Yeah, don't get the DWI, right? That was my, that was my reality growing up, right? And same with like seatbelts and cars, same with seatbelts and cars. When I was young, it was like, my mother would freaking whack us. Like, it's not a, you know, she's like afraid we were going to fall forward. So she, <laughs> literally in her 70s, almost 80, she... Um, she's driving along and she and she's got to stop quick. The arm still goes at seventy, right? It's still, it's she's got the automatic arm, right? I'm like, what the hell? And so, you know, but now science says seatbelts good for you. And, and everybody, you get in the car right now at at uh, you know our age, a ten, you don't have your seatbelt on. Your eight year old's going to say, put your damn seatbelt on. You know? So it's a different world, right? And that's where we're headed with the sugar. It's we are on the right side of history, Liz. I'm telling you. Well, I'm excited about that because yeah. I can say, you know, I don't eat any of those things you like those processed things that you're talking about, right? So I don't yeah. get the Doritos, I don't get any of those things. But then you buy the organic, you think it's organic and it's just organic <laughs> on it or non-GMO, and you're like, right. oh, this is healthy. But then at the same time, you're still getting, you know, if you buy the organic flour that came from this and you paid $25 for the bag of it, right? It's better for you, but it's the same stuff that's in the yeah. gold bag that doesn't say, right? Exactly. It's exactly right. And, you know, the God bless their soul, is Southern saying there, but, you know, uh, the food manufacturer have done a great job. I'm view skating. I don't know if you like that word, but the idea that this stuff's bad for you for 30 years, you know, and now they're getting called to task. But yeah, I mean, people don't realize the health food stuff is probably worse than the regular stuff because they have so many names for sugar. Uh, 
like agave, you know, agave syrup, right? Agave syrup is freaking seven, they make tequila out of agave, for God's sake. It's 70, 80% fructose, the worst part of the, of the chemical molecule that is um, sugar. Like just for your listeners, sugar, table sugar is half fructose and half um, glucose, right? Well, we need glucose, but you don't need chemical glucose. You don't need powdered glucose. You don't need glucose from uh, fruits and from vegetables, right? And so the fructose though is now, especially with high fructose corn syrup coming in in the 80s, and it's the fructose that now we're starting to realize is fructose cannot be processed anywhere in the body except the liver. Now, does this sound familiar, right? And children now are getting fatty liver disease, right? And so we finally, the science is, you know, the MRIs, you know, you can see that your brain lights up the same with the fructose as it does with the cocaine or the alcohol, right? And it's the fructose that really is the reason you can't quit. It's the psychoactive part of it, right? We know what glucose has given us diabetes and probably Alzheimer's and heart disease and cancer and all that kind of stuff. But we, people always want to know, why can't I quit? Why does the cravings keep drawing me back? Why can't I live a life without it after you've been acclimated? Because you're going to have actual withdrawals. You're going to have withdrawal symptoms. You're going to feel down. You're going to have pause, post-acute withdrawal syndrome, you know, for maybe a month or two till your dopamine receptors, what's, what they do is called thinned out. They're down-regulated is the scientific term. And so you have less of them. And so you're trying to get back to, through exercise, hydration, and nutrition, you're trying to get back to uh, more, you know, uh, feeling just normal, like we talked about, just, I just want to have my normal, like what I would feel if my dopamine receptors were acting normally, instead of being down-regulated. And that takes a little time. You can't go 40 years in sugar, and then all of a sudden hope in two months that your dopamine uh, receptors have just popped right back. Doesn't happen that way, right? So yeah, I mean, it's uh, after being immersed in it pretty heavily for the last decade, I'm, you know, kind of, I can see a little bit more of it. And I mean, I think the important thing is the work that you're doing, helping me get this message out, but it's, it ain't rocket science anymore. The science is there, you know, the science is truly there to, to defend all this. So I have a challenging question for you, Mike. Sure. So I just, I've heard them all by the way, but go ahead. Oh, come on, give me some originality here. So maybe, maybe, who knows? So I just quit drinking. I'm totally uncomfortable. I just gave up my best friend. And what you were just describing of those withdrawals and everything, that didn't sound comfortable, did it? And we don't like feeling uncomfortable as addicts, especially, I'm just going to say for myself as an addict, right? Mm -hmm. I don't like those feelings of insecure. I, for one, I didn't even know what those words were when I got sober, but, you know, anxiety, whatever, all those words. Yeah. So um, I'm feeling, but the bottom line is I'm uncomfortable. And now I have, I have these feelings and all I want to do is do something. So I want to do something. And so we say to them, go get an ice cream cone, go get a candy bar. What is your recommendation to tell them to go get? So that's, it is a good question. And it is, again, uh, the fourth pillar. There's three, there's four pillars. That's one of the pillars of what we teach and it's self-care. Essentially, it's a, just a process of self-care. So let me kind of put it, start from the beginning, really. It, what we're doing, both with alcohol and drugs and with sugar, is we have 
co-opted or opted out of our own emotional management systems, right? The one that we were supposed to learn as a child on how to soothe ourselves. In mm -hmm. other words, mm -hmm. how to um, go out and take a, you know, go play, go swimming, um, go to yoga, go run. Uh, things that usually most to require to uh, pick up a nice dopamine buzz or you know serotonin or you know, get your adrenals going usually takes physical exercise not necessarily you can get a hug you know you can make love there's a lot of things that you can do that will get your you know make you feel better get a massage uh, get a mani-pedi things that where you're pampered where you're taking care of yourself right and it's these things that we have outsourced uh, uh, co-opted two sugar and, and these kind of things because you, you know you can just sit on the couch and, and eat the sugar and get the same feelings that would require to walk around the block or walk the dog mm -hmm. right and so that's the this is this is what you just brought up really is the major breaking point for when people finally get that you know as far as I'm not concerned about their using I'm concerned about what are they you know when they say they need something like that, they need to feel better, they need to think, I need a dopamine hit and how can I get one, right? And I need even better ones, serotonin. I mean, we've all heard of SSRIs, uh, a serotonin selective reuptake, right? And these are Paxil and all these kind of things. These are the nastiest drugs that God ever created. These things are terrible because you've... <laughs> You know what they do, right? They, they, they dial it in. So if this one doesn't work, they put you on another one. And if this dose doesn't work, they put you on another one, right? I always tell this story. So you're going to a concert, right? And you got a little pot, a little Coke, a little beer, a little whiskey, a little, uh, little pot, you know, a little beer. What is the goal? Not when the first band comes on. At 9.30 when the main band comes on. It's to have dialed in <laughs> all your drugs so you're not falling down and you're feeling perfect when the band comes on, right? This is what we do all day, every day with sugar, flour, and caffeine. We're trying to dial in the emotional balance that should have been and will again in recovery come from exercise, hydration, connection, community, love, uh, self-care just basic human self-care and we got to get back to it or not get back to it we a lot of people have to start it again or you know for the first time so it's not that complicated i mean it's but it does take some uh work to separate it out to know which is which you know to know that you can't use that product anymore so 90 days you do your first because you know we're all about 90 and 90 right we're like yeah. you do 90 and 90 and you're going to feel so much better. You're not going to have these cravings anymore. Can you say that when you start doing the, you get off the sugar and the flour? We actually call it the gift of 90 days because yes. Um, now there are some people, especially heavy caffeine addicts, um, that it's almost like a meth withdrawal. It lasts for six or months or more sometimes. And yeah, it's really kind of bad. And sugar too, depending on how big your habit was, how big your mother's habit was, whether your body has ever been ever 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 had an experience of not having it, it takes a longer time. But most people, uh, ninety days is uh, a good a good number. You know, we we try and get them. We have bronze, silver, and gold. So 
30 days bronze, 60 days silver, 90 days gold. If you get to gold, pretty much, I mean, I, what I've found is you really still need to hang around the community. You can't just like go off on your own. This is lore. This is scientific diet history lore, where if someone loses a lot of weight, uh, they 90 plus percent, closer to 95% of the folks always gain it back in the first year and then some. And the reason that happens is because of the things you and I are talking about. It's the, okay, I muscled it through. This is even a big loser study, CDC uh, peer reviewed big loser study where they, all the folks that were on the big loser lost all that weight, all but two gained it all back within the first year or two. And that's because they were muscle, 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 you know, grit their teeth, grit their teeth, you know, white knuckle in it. And then they, they lost the weight. They did the exercise. They were sequestered. And so, you know, the average person doesn't have that opportunity. And when they do muscle it and they do white knuckle it, if they don't do the things that we've been discussing, get the self-care regimens in place, get the community and tribe in place so they can have somebody to talk to. Because nine out of 10 times, their family's not going to do it with them. They're going to be in a family where either they're cooking for or living with some four, two or three or four or five other people, a spouse who's not on board with this program. And that's, you know, we all know about Al-Anon, but this is the same kind of deal. It's hard. It's hard when you're not, you don't have a group around you. So hard when you don't have a cheerleader. And oh, you're yeah. a buddy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sponsor somebody Accountability, like Accountability, a sponsor, right? Yeah. So, or a, um, oh, I just heard the best one. Wait a minute. What is it called? Um, a fellow, a fellow traveler. Yeah, I like that one. I actually use that word, actually, that term. I like that. Term. Yeah. I like that. I like the fellow traveler. How much does it cost to do your program? 97 bucks. It's cheap. You know, the, the, the important part is the back end is the, is the Zoom meetings and the Facebook groups and, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, you can do one-on-one -on -one coaching for more, but 80% of our folks don't need that. They just, they just join the group and that's it. Like, and off they go. And off they I got a bunch of recovering people too. I mean, I got coaches that are recovering people that are like, Mike, this is to a man, to a woman. Every single one of them said, Mike, quitting sugar was a lot harder than quitting drugs. Oh, I, I would tell you right now, it is, I have done it because I've done those keto. I've done South Beach. I've yeah. done, all, you know, I've done all those, Dr. Atkins, you know, all yeah. that stuff, right? So I've done all those. And during, I mean, like the first week you want your spouse to stay away. They're like, oh my God, should I come in with a shield? Cause you're going to kill me, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it is, it's hard. And we do not live in a society that promotes, it's not like we don't live in a society that promotes not drinking. And we don't live in a society that promotes, you know, not eating sugar. And the no. one thing that I... I want to mention one more thing is that, and I just thought about it right now, is like, you know, the mocktail industry, right? So that mocktail, making our cocktail yeah. in a pretty glass. And I- That's sugar tail, they should call it. That's what it is. And I, <laughs> and I was making them all the time. And the reality was, I don't really drink, I don't drink sugary drinks. I drink Pellegrino or I drink, you know, I, Tapo, Tapo Chico. And neither yeah, of them yeah. have like anything in it, right? Those are my drinks. And yeah. so I was doing these drinks and it was like, I wasn't even really drinking them because all they were were syrup, right? They were right. all syrup just with a different flavor that you added. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, 
one of the things that is a problem with the keto world and with uh, the diet world in general, paleo, all of them, is they have these keto desserts, right? And like, they're like, it's just crap, you know? I mean, it's orchestrated to look like and trigger you like the old stuff. It's like, you know, keto cheesecake. Now, come on, how do you, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I mean, you can theoretically make it with, and we have a problem, you know, I got my start, as I kind of mentioned, in people with late stage uh, food addiction. I'm, I was past chairman of the Food Addiction Institute. It's a, uh, you know, IRS 501C, been around for since 85 or 95 or something. And uh, it's like, those things are triggers. Sweet taste in general are triggers, right? Sweet tastes, it's like Pavlov's dogs. You're like, okay, that tastes sweet. Where's, where's my buzz? And then they, you're not searching out the xylitol or the stevia. You're searching out the real stuff, like, a, like an addict getting a beer and say, okay, where's the whiskey? You know what I mean? Same thing. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of that stuff. And I think it's dangerous for someone in their first 90 days. What happens with us in our 90 days? I say, if anybody can ever get 90 days of uh, full abstinence, then... Uh, they never go back. We screw up, like AA will screw up your drink and this will screw up your sugar because your skin looks better. You definitely lost some weight. Your brain fog's cleared. You're sleeping better. You know, a lot of things happen really fast. And so, yeah, they may slip and they may be gone for a while, but they're always coming back because they just, they want this. You know, they really, and, and it's not me doing it. It's their body showing them that this is better, you know? So, yeah. Well, I'm intrigued. You've got me sold. I've got to go play on your website now. And I got, now I've got to convince <laughs> my husband. That'll be the hard part. Who drinks his two or three cups of coffee a day, right? I mean, it's yeah. just the way that the world is, right? And it's, it's tough. It's really, you know, it's hard to stay sober. It's hard to quit smoking. It's hard to quit doing drugs. It's hard to do all these things. But to have yeah. a healthy, but the healthy, healthy lifestyle is attainable, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about the coffee thing is we found that about 10% to 15% can drink black coffee, but for the most part, the two are, it's like wired together, fired together. You know that term where it's like um, chocolate is 50, 50, you know, caffeine and sugar. Right, right. It's like a, the, it's a speedball, you know, it's what John Bellucci died of. I'll burn it down. Right? Yeah. And so same thing with uh, coffee, tea, everything's got mostly prepared with sugar. And so, it just, you get the same kind of angst feeling like I, I want something sweet, right? When you have the caffeine, but some people can do it, but not, not most, most can't. So, My husband, but, so when yeah. we did one of these diets that we've mentioned previously yeah. that I've done, sure. you know, um, you know, plant-based, all that stuff. And um, my husband went black. He doesn't drink anything in his. And I don't drink my, like teas. I don't drink tea with sugar. I don't do, mm -hmm. I don't put honey or anything. It's all just straight up. So yeah. we're, maybe we're halfway there already. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, you know, I mean, look, it's, it's no different than any other recovery. And I think that's the message. And that's the hard part because, you know, <laughs> as a marketing guy, this is, this is a product people need, but they don't really want <laughs> They don't really want to quit sugar. And they asked the same question you and I asked when we first got in recovery. Do I have to do this for the rest of my life? <laughs> I can never have a birthday cake, a wedding cake, or, you know, it's like, yeah, you can do it, but 
you know, the, like when I, like in the last 30 years, I've had what I call 10 accidental ingestations. This is where like someone swears that they did, they made the salad dressing themselves and there's no sugar. In it. And then you come to find out it's got agave syrup in it or something like that. And then I'm buzzing, right? I, and I say, well, all right, I had it. I didn't do it on purpose, but I had it. And I got a little buzz on. But the next day, and even late, later, I'm starving. You know, I get the craving. I'm hungry for more food when I'm already eating. And then the next day, I'm a little blue. I'm a little down because I just got that big pump, that big shot of dopamine, you know. And my dopamine, my... I didn't have I, I I didn't I didn't get to start the game with too much. My mother took you know took care of that, God love her. But you know, it's like I started that with downregulated dopamine, ser, you know, serotonin and everything to begin with. So when I toy with it, I really get a hit. So, you know, it, it takes a while to get to you know, people say it's trite or whatever, but that getting to know your own body, that's you know, and the journey is inward. And I always thought those sayings were full of shit, right? But Come to find out, that's probably where the answer is, you know. And, no, you know, those guys, the meditators, the, they can change their heart rate and their temperature and all that kind of stuff. Now I'm starting to believe that the body can be that sensitive to these outside forces that are currently uh, accepted. That you, Without guilt or worry, you can give it to a one-year-old, right? And so it's, you know, we're in a big shift and it's going to take time, but science is here now and the anecdotal evidence is here now from those four uh, offshoot 12-step groups it, it works if you if you remain abstinent and so it's look i don't want to be the anti-candy man liz i, I mean i really don't i, I don't want to sure be you don't that, that nobody likes that it's like but being the dentist they, and telling you know <laughs> so you work it if you work it it's worth it right and yeah, yeah. and do you still continue to go to 12-step meetings I do not as much as I did. I, you know, one of the things in our program is that I, you know, I, I really embrace the, the saying, uh, uh, take what you leave and leave the rest, you know, and I'm not a fan of the spiritual being blended with this. I think that the community is the answer and I love the community and I don't ask what their stuff is, you know, their spiritual stuff is. And so we're trying to create that, recreate that online and, you know, the community, the tribe, and let people choose their own spirituality, you know, and not have it intermingled, if you will. And, and plus, the, the task that we have ahead of us is really about the children and the next generation. And it's now we're now it's science based, right? And the problem with the, you know, AA and stuff is that the grief and the, the split, if you will, the in, in the community, the recovery community is that the evidence-based stuff, right? And so um, it saved my life. Look, I'm not, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a denier or anything. Or I'm not like, you know, whatever, but I've, it's an, an evolutionary process like all, like all things. I think. Yeah. Well, it's been really fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me and keep doing your good work at 295 or 190. I don't know. You got a lot of episodes in the can. That's amazing. Talking. I would love to do that and talk to recovering people all the time. That's really cool. It's really fun. Well, it's all about getting busy living sober, you know, and it's living in our own skin. And I think that if you get to that place where you're like, you know what, I quit drinking and I want more. This is like the, I think I love sugar addiction. I'm going to, I'm definitely, I might have to reach out and have you come back on at some point, maybe 90 days from tomorrow. Who knows? I would love that. I would love that. No, I mean, 
I think that there is a, uh, uh, the recovering folks, they get the addiction part where like a new person or a civilian, whatever you want to call them, it, it takes a while for them to get the, because they never had an addictive issue with the alcohol or, or anything else. And so they don't want to think of the word addiction. And I'm a big fan of the, I don't know if you're familiar with the, obviously you probably are, but the recovery advocacy movement where they're trying to reduce the stigma and they call it substitute, you know, addict, junkie, alcoholic, drunk, you know, trying to get the stigmatized words out of the language, which I wholeheartedly support. And for a reason, because now that I'm in this, it's like people don't like that word. They don't like to think about it. You know, when I, I, I use the word normie, I'm sure you do too, but people who are not in, you know, in recovery, and so those folks, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear the addiction thing, right? And, and they can't make the connection. But someone who's already sober, they can say to themselves, you know what? This, this shit is treating me like, uh, starting to treat me like the other stuff did. So, yeah. it is, it's hard to say no to it. It, it really yeah. is. And so when you're yeah. like, I'm on a diet, and they come up and they're like, here's your chocolate cake with chocolate icing and <laughs> ice cream. And you're like, sure. <laughs> I've been good all day. I'm going to be bad now. And it's like, instead of playing those games with your head and good and bad and all that, I mean, we could probably go on for hours and hours about that. But um, it's, um, it's, I'm very, it's, I'm, I'm excited to try this. Hey, you never know. I'm excited to support you in any way I can. You know, I mean, it's like, we got some really cool people in our community. We got some really cool recovering people in our community, people that, you know, been this road before and woke up, whatever, five, 10, 15 years sober. And they said, where did these 50 pounds come from? Where did this di- Where did this diabetes come from? You know, and they're like, enough's enough. And they're willing to get humble and listen to the idea that this could be a substance use disorder. And we didn't talk a lot about that, but it's, this is truly a substance use disorder. This is not a diet thing. It's not a health thing. It's not a wellness thing. This is a substance use disorder, plain and simple. And the quicker we get that message out, and I think one of the avenues is recovering people because they are as bad as sugar addicts as everybody else. So, yeah. Well, we're going to do it one person at a time. So let's hope somebody reaches out to us. Okay. okay. Mike, thank Anything you. Anything so I can do, just let me know. I'm awesome. Well, until next time, everybody. Thanks again, Mike, for coming on. You guys, it's called sugaraddiction.com. Go check it out. I'm definitely, I've already checked it out once, but I think I might have to go delve deeper now. And um, with any questions or comments, please reach out to busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y, at busylivingsober.com, and I'll forward your message to Mike. And until next time, keep getting busy living sober. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. That was awesome.